Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Acts 26. Tonight and Sunday morning will be the last messages in my Mission of Must series. But I want to read, I would guess, somewhat of a familiar passage, maybe not this version of it, but you're familiar with Saul of Tarsus' conversion. I'm going to read Acts 26, beginning in verse 9. He writes, I myself was convinced that I ought, and the word ought, in a lot of other versions, is uh, must, because that's the word that we've been highlighting and emphasizing. So let me read it that way. I myself was convinced that I must do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king... He's before Agrippa. I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Christmas isn't that far away, and the reason I know is because my wife has already started listening to Christmas music, which she does in October every year. And so... uh, we have a little tradition at our house, kind of a fun little tradition. We do it most years. I don't know if we every year, but a lot of them. And we watch together how the Grinch stole Christmas. How many of you have ever seen that? Very nice. Immediately when you hear that phrase, I want to start singing, You're a mean one. Right, yeah, yeah, right. You sing it too, right? And, and then immediately in my head, I get pictures of Cindy Lou Who waddling out to the edge of her door trying to talk to the Grinch, who's trying to pretend that he's Santa and stealing everything. I also remember the big sled going down Mount Crumpet and the dog Max in the front not making it, and then he slides to the back of it and it ends up on the back of the sled. You remember that? So Max is kind of a, a hero in that little story. But it wasn't until recently, actually, until I was working on this series that 
I realized that the Grinch was on a mission of must. In fact, you remember the scene where they're, you know, the Grinch is standing from his top cave looking down on the Who's in Whoville, and he's imagining all the Christmas fun and festivities they're going to have and all the noise and all the toys they have and how terrible it's going to be. And he's so upset by it. And he's kind of just thinking about how awful it is. And, he, and then he kind of says out loud to himself this line. Remember? I must. Yes, stop Christmas from coming. I thought, there you go. The, the Grinch said, I must. He had a mission of must. He had to stop Christmas. And for, for him, it wasn't a maybe. It wasn't a might. It was a must. And, and let me tell you this. Living out his must, he acted like it. It was, he did all kinds of crazy, you know the whole story if you've seen it. In fact, let me give you the words of Dr. Seuss himself, as only he can say it. The Grinch hated Christmas, the whole Christmas season. Now please don't ask why. No one knows the reason. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. See, the Grinch was on a mission of must, and the reason why it was such an awful mission to be on was because he had a problem with his heart, right? Indulge me for a moment, and let me make a comparison. Saul of Tarsus was on a mission of must. He said so in the text. He said, I thought I must do all kinds of things contrary to the name of Jesus. See, before he was saved, now we know he got a, a must after he was saved. We, we've seen that in 9, 6, and 16, in chapter 22. They all say, here's what God says, Jesus says to him. Go and, these are the things that you must do. So we know after he got saved, he had one. But before he got saved, he had one. And to borrow the line from the Grinch, Saul would have said it this way. I must stop Christianity from coming. He wanted to get it at the outset because he thought, in fact, the word is, look at 26.9. He was convinced. The word in the Greek means to think, to believe, to, in fact, it's translated, it seemed good. In other words, to him, it was the right thing to do. The way he thought about Jesus, the way he thought about the Christianity that was happening, he had to stop it. For him, it meant that these outsiders who believed in some crucified Messiah, they were stopping the real kingdom from coming. So he had to stop Christianity from coming. And why? Why would he feel that way? Ultimately, there's a lot of reasons, but let me tell you this. His heart was two sizes too small. You know why? Because inside, he really didn't know Jesus. See, Saul needed what the Grinch ultimately needed, and that was what I call a must-makeover. And by that, I mean this. You know, if you read the Grinch story, you'll find that what changed him turned him over completely into a different person, or whatever a Grinch might be, was what? He found out what the true meaning of Christmas was. You remember the scene where his sleigh is at the top, which is crazy because it never could happen, but he's at the top of this little, you know, peak, and the gigantic sleigh with a huge, gigantic bag of all the stuff on it is on this little teeny peak going like this, teetering. And he's sitting there, and he's looking down there, and he watches... And all the who's done Whoville, without anything that they had for Christmas, come out, stand around the tree, which is bare, hold hands and sing the same songs and act the same way they would have if, if everything was there. And he couldn't figure it out. 
He could not figure it out. Why? Because he didn't understand what Christmas was really about. And so he does this. Remember this scene? So Max is dangling with a little thing around his neck, the rope hanging down from the sleigh, and he pulls him over. And he says this. I even wrote him down. He goes, Christmas was not ribbons or tags, packages, boxes, or bags. Christmas did not come from a store. Perhaps Christmas means just a little bit more. Did you know what changed him? He finally got it. He was wrong about the meaning of Christmas. To the point where the sleigh starts going back down and it's going to fall off the precipice and it's all going to be gone. So now that he knows the meaning, what does he do? He scrambles up there. Max tries to scramble up there and he grabs it and it's going to slowly pull him all over. But what happens that day? Well, he says, the who's down in Whoville. They say on that day, what happened? That the Grinch's heart grew three times its size that day. And then he had, remember this? Ten Grinches plus two. That's how strong he became. And so he gets up and he takes that big, huge sleigh and holds it up like it was nothing. Why? Because he was strong on the outside because he had changed on the inside. See, he went from a mission of must to I got to destroy the who's and I hate them and I hate the Christmas thing to the point where what? Now he's going to go back. He goes back down the hill, gives them everything back. And the crazy thing was, remember when he was sneaking out in each house doing stuff? He stole everything, including all their food and the refrigerator and the roast beast. And then this little crumb dingled on there as he was going up the chimney. And he reaches down with his finger and the mouse tries to get it and he even took that. And now he's down. He brings everything back and he even says, and the, and the Grinch, he himself carved the roast beast. I mean, he's sitting at the table with the people he hated and little Mary Lou, who, I mean, Cindy Lou, who's right next to him, and Max is there. Who would ever thought that he would be at their table? Now, that's, a, that's a, a story, right? That's a fun fiction story, but the reality is true. See, it changed his mission of must completely because his heart was changed. See, can I tell you tonight? That's salvation. Salvation is not just a change vertically in the direction of my life. It is not a change from just, I'm going to hell and now I'm going to heaven. Praise God, it is that, right? But can I tell you, that's just the beginning. And you find out all the conversion stories of Paul, it doesn't even say anything, you are going to hell and now you're going to heaven. It doesn't even mention any of that, as great as that is. But you know what it's a change? It's not only a vertical change of direction, it's a horizontal change of direction, because here's where he was going, away from Jesus, destroying Christianity, and now he's turned around horizontally while he's still living, and now his mission of must has completely been altered, radically revolutionized, and now he is going toward Jesus, toward the church. It's crazy, the change. It's crazy that the Grinch could be sitting at the table and they've accepted him as one of their own. See, it's not far-fetched to think that Saul of Tarsus was, as I call it, a gospel Grinch. He was just totally anti-gospel, anti-Jesus, anti-church. But then God got a, Jesus got a hold of his heart, and a complete transformation took place. Now, I looked up in the dictionary, makeover. A makeover is, and here's the definition, a complete transformation of something, especially a person's hairstyle, makeup, or clothes. Now, I've watched some of that on TV. Have you not watched a show... I don't even think it's still on TV. Extreme Makeover, have you ever seen that? House Edition. Now they have just about every edition I think there is. But they have, and usually they make over and they show you the house on the outside. And then they show you the house on the inside. And then halfway through it, most times, there's not just fixing the floor, making it look better on the wall, putting new furniture, doing all the stuff, taking the walls down, whatever. 
But there's always a problem in the middle, it gives a little drama, because underneath this, the pipes are broken. And behind this wall, it's awful. They have to totally, it takes more money. But there's always something in the makeover that's not an outside problem, it's an inside problem. See, that was the Grinch, wasn't it? He had an outside problem, but his biggest problem was the heart small, two things, too small. But see, you ever watched Fixer Upper, right? Chip and Joanna Gaines, people, how many have been to the Magnolia? You're a Ma you, Magnolia must, is that a must for you, right, okay. But you're there, but remember their show? I, I've seen it, not for a long time, but I've seen it. But when they're all done, they had this gigantic moving wall, this picture on it of the whole house, how it looked, and the, each one of them on the end of it. And they always say this, do you, are you ready to see your fixer-upper? And they do, and they move it, and then they watch the people's face. I mean, it's like they can't believe the difference between what it was and what it is. I think that Acts 26 is that. It's like Jesus standing there on, and, and, and God the Father on the other end, and they're going to say, you know, remember Saul of Tarsus? And they, let, let, are you ready to see my fixer-upper? And, and they move the big screen, and they go, oh, my word, that can't be the same guy. But it is. See, that's what... That's what salvation is supposed to do to us. It's supposed to be a radical change. Not just this. This. See, I don't think Jesus or Paul would have ever imagined that there was anybody who could become a Christian and still have no passion for the must of Jesus. I can't imagine that they would ever think that you could be going to heaven because Jesus died for you, but it never occurs to you hardly to follow him on mission. I can't imagine, after reading this text and seeing what changed in Paul's life and what the Bible emphasizes, that that could ever be what Jesus would have thought. So let me tell you my main idea, and I'm going to develop by doing a comparison in the time we have left. Um, what does a make, must makeover look like? Well, it looks like Saul. He's the pattern of it, not perfectly like him, but like him. And there's going to be a before and after translate, a transformation, and I want to compare them. I want to show you what the must he had before he was saved was like, and when he became a Christian afterward, what it looked like when he became a believer. And I want you to watch and see which one of those are you closest to, because here's the scary thing to me. There are some people who are Christians, but their must looks like more of what that was before he was saved than it does after. And I want you to ask yourself tonight this question. Do I need a must makeover? Do I need that? See, do I have a Grinch heart or a God heart? And I want you to think, and I want you to be honest as you look at the comparison tonight as I kind of bring it out to you. Which one are you? Which one are you closest to? So let me give it to you one at a time. There's two parts and there's only two, so I'm just going to pack each one of them. When, before he was saved, he had an anti-Jesus thinking that was what drove his must. After he's saved, he has a pro-Jesus thinking, all right? And by that I mean, let me say it succinctly for you. Listen, um, any view of Jesus other than what he really is and who he really is is anti-Jesus. Now, when you witness, the first thing you'll know about people and why they're not saved is, by and large, they have something wrong with their view of him. He said, I was convinced that I had to do, verse 9, 26, I was convinced I had to do many things opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth is not a common use in Acts. It usually, when it's used, talks about Jesus' humanity. He's from Nazareth. Saul of Tarsus thought he was just a man. He was not God equal to God the Father. 
He certainly wasn't the Messiah because only failed messiahs were crucified. So when Saul of Tarsus saw Jesus and what he was all about, he was not who he said he was. He certainly wasn't God and he certainly wasn't the Messiah. See, he had a wrong view of him and so he opposed him. When you talk to people about Jesus on your mission of must, what you're going to find out is that they usually have a wrong view of him if you talk to them long enough. They're going to say things like this. Jesus was a good moral teacher. Jesus was, he might have been a prophet. Remember the woman at the well talking to Jesus says, oh, when he told her something about her life he could never have known? You must be a prophet. So that's a little higher than just a good teacher. Some think Jesus is a martyr for a good cause. Yes, Jesus, he died on the cross. I get that. It's a shame. He was such a good guy. What an example of life. And he's a person I should model. He's just a model to them or just a martyr. Another one is Jesus must be on the other side. He's a deceiver because he really can't be God, so he must have been a liar no matter how good he might pretended to be. And others like Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses will say, oh, Jesus was God, but God little g. So, I mean, you, and we could go on and on about what people believe about Jesus and who he was, but the problem is, is it's usually a wrong view of him, and that's why Saul and the many people that you talk to oppose him, see. And that was his pre-Jesus thinking. His must was driven by a wrong view of Jesus. But when he gets saved, see, when he gets saved, if you go down and look at verses 12 through 15, here's what he has. He has this conversation. He gets knocked off of the animal he's riding. Everybody else with him gets knocked on the ground. This light appears. He calls it brighter than the sun. And he hears this voice from heaven. And it, he says, who are you, Lord? He knows that this is supernatural. And then, literally, I can't even put into words what the next line means. It, it, it literally had to blow his mind. I am Jesus. I mean, those three words, I can't even tell you how it just totally changed him. Because he thought Jesus was nobody. And now he appears in the light, which is the Shekinah glory of God. And he's speaking from heaven in God's and he's God's representative. I mean, really? I mean, it had to change everything almost instantaneously for him. He must have been bewildered by that truth. But knowing Jesus and finding out who he really is changed everything for him. Now, listen, that's so crucial for non-Christians and Christians because there are three conversion stories of how Saul got saved in Acts in chapter 9, chapter 22, chapter 26. Read them all. I had a chart this week. I compared all of them side by side, and here's what I found out. Did you know in every single one of these three stories that the same, there are some pieces that are different and some pieces that are all the same? One of the things, major things that's the same is that there were a bunch of people with Saul. He was not by himself. No one traveled on these roads out in the desert. I've seen the Damascus Road. It's out in the middle of nowhere. You don't travel those roads by yourself because of bandits. So he had a group of people, probably a fairly sized entourage, to be honest with you. But they see this light. They get the, the power of Jesus' presence knocks them off their animals. All of them, not just Saul, all of them. He said, all of us fell to the ground. Now here's the thing. Every one of them, they saw a light. They heard something. But not any of them, except Saul, saw Jesus or heard any audible words. Why? Why just him? Because the emphatic point of the, of, the, of the vision of all that on the Damascus Road was Jesus was revealing himself to Saul personally because he wanted to change his life. 
And in order to do that, he had to tell them exactly who he was. It has to be personal with you. See, that's how you become a Christian. You come through revelation, his supernatural, ours scriptural. We come through revelation and we finally figure out who Jesus is. See, that's where you have to start when you talk to people. Not about what's the problem of suffering and evil. Not about why this is that in the world. You've got to say, let me start with Jesus. Because if you don't get that right, we don't have really anywhere else to go. I can answer some questions, but we, we have to get that right to start with. And that's what Saul got right. And when he did, it changed his life. He used to hate Jesus, anti-Jesus. Now he has pro-Jesus thinking. So hear me. A conversion to Jesus is a conversion of your must. To be saved, to be a Christian, means that you have adopted a new mission of must. That you used to have this, and it might be different for anyone and everyone in here, but when you became a Christian and you finally said, oh, I know who Jesus is now. I know what he did. Now the must goes from this to this. There can't be, now watch, salvation for Paul Having a must makeover, he didn't go from the wrong must to no must. No, he went from having the wrong must to having the right one. If you read Romans 6 sometime, Christianity in slave terms, if you read Romans 6, it is not going from slavery to sin to no slavery. It is slavery to, from, to sin to slavery to God and righteousness. It is not exchanging slavery for no master. It exchanges the wrong master for the right one. See, Christians don't go from slaves to not slaves. We go from slaves to sin to the slaves of Jesus. That's freedom. And the same thing true when it comes to evangelism and salvation and mission and salvation. We don't go from the wrong must to no. You didn't get saved so that you'd have no mission. You get saved so you had the right one. So every single person in here tonight that claims to know Jesus... You should be on his mission of must. It's part of what it means to finally figure out who he really is. So let me say, he had anti-Jesus thinking, and he went to pro-Jesus thinking. And then he went from this, in verses 12, I'm sorry, 16 through 18, he went from anti-Jesus doing to pro-Jesus doing. So thinking, yes, change. Doing, change. It wasn't just that he got a new idea and a new mind or he adopted a set of beliefs about Jesus. He did. He got a new theology. He got new you know, suppositions or presuppositions or principles in his life. But it was more than that. It changed how he lived. Now watch. In verses 9 through 12, there's seven verbs and all of them Paul is active. I'll read them for you. He says, I thought I had to do many things opposing the name of Jesus. And I, watch, I did so in Jerusalem. Do and did. See, it's not just what he thought and believed. It changed his behavior. What was his behavior? I locked up the saints. I put them to death, voted for it, punished them often. I made them to blaspheme, raging fury against them, persecuted them to foreign cities. See, that's what he did. So he thought this way about Jesus, watch. So therefore he acted this way. If you were tied to Jesus, he hated you, the Grinch. And so he did all this stuff. He put people in prison, he persecuted them, he had them flogged, beaten, all kinds of stuff. But when he becomes pro-Jesus, when he gets a new mission of must, watch. It changes his doing. 
Here's what Je- now, now, in verses 16 through 18, there's seven verbs, but they're all God-active. Paul was active, the main character, but now it's God doing things. Watch the difference. God says, I, I saved you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness, to deliver you from, and he tells them all the people he's delivering them from, to open the eyes of people, to turn them from darkness, from the power of Satan to God, so that they can receive forgiveness, so they can receive a place of those who are sanctified. You see, now it was Paul acting. He didn't have any idea or any interest in the mission of must of God. But now God says, see, now it's not what you do, Paul. It's what I'm going to do in you. See, that's why I've saved you. This is the purpose. This is why you are saved. This is why you're the only one who heard me talk on the Damascus Road, because I want you to be absolutely certain that I want you to know it's me acting in your life, and it means something. It means something for that to happen. See, I don't think that Paul would have ever thought that he would go from self-definition of must to God-definition of must. I don't think he would ever thought that he would go from a life-taking must to a life-risking must. He went from persecutor to persecuted, from putting people to prison and to death to being put in prison and death himself. I mean, the radical change, the extreme polar opposite of what he was. So you might say, Pastor Walker, okay, I need to be on a mission of must like Paul was. I need to have a must makeover. How would I know if that's happening? What would it look like every day? Let me close with this. He says in chapter 26, And verse number 19, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. See, listen to this, for Saul who became Paul, see, living on the mission of must once he became a follower of Jesus, it wasn't optional. How does he describe it? God told him, hey, I'm going to save you and this is what you're going to do. And what does he call him, his response? Obedience. He goes, when Jesus said, hey, this is who I am, and this is what you're going to do, he said, I did it. <laughs> I wasn't disobedient to it. I mean, Jesus gave me a personal great commission. I mean, he said it to me personally. And he goes, I can't disobey it. See, listen, every day it has to be this mentality for you if you're going to have a God heart, not a Grinch heart. Here's what it is, that this is what I have to do. See, being on the mission of must every day, it's not, a, it's not optional. It's essential. It's part of what it means to be a Christian. There aren't missionary and non-missionary Christians. There is no such thing as non-missionary. We're all missionaries because we're all under the obligation of, of this mission of must because it's what it means to be a Christian. And so it's a matter of obedience. And I see that and I live that way. But let me ask you, say, hey, so I obey Jesus, but you know, it might be difficult. It absolutely will be. It might be hard. Yes, I may suffer. I may sacrifice. I may lose. Look at all Paul had to do and all the suffering he had. How do I do that every day? Let me close with this last phrase. I love this. Look at 26, 22. Here's what he says. To this day, underline that. I went back and looked at my chronology of the book of Acts. And from the time where Jesus saved him in Acts 9 and gave him this mission of must till he retells the story in front of King Agrippa in chapter 26 is 28 years. So when he says, to this day, he's saying, here's what has kept me on the mission of must for almost three decades 
every day of my life. What was it? Here's what he says. Look at the passage. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. The word help is the word, believe it or not, doesn't mean much to you, Epicurean. Epicureans were philosophers who were the opposite of Stoics. Stoics believed that the whole of life was not to feel anything, don't have any pleasure because then you can live a good life. The opposite of that was this word, Epicurean. It meant to have pleasure. And they said, hey, be as ungodly, fornicate. You do all that sexual, all that pleasure, eat, do whatever makes you feel happy because that's really life. This word Epicurean means what kind of help does God give you? It's not stoic help where he's not really interested and you gotta kind of twist his arm and he's really not gonna find any pleasure and he'd really be doing something else. No, it's Epicurean help. You know what that means? That God finds great pleasure when he sees his Christians who are passionate and intense and their paychecks and their schedules and their calendars all revolve about what they can do to live the mission today. He says, when that happens, I am so passionate about helping them. That's God. And Paul says, that's the God I've served for 28 years. 28 years. He has helped me. Not a disinterested help, but a passionate help. Now watch. Do this on your own. I'll close. The, look at the book of Acts. Since chapter 9, he got saved by a vision. And God says, this is what you're going to do. Your mission a must. And I put down this quote. A must that comes from God will always be accompanied by a help that comes from God. Let me say it again. A must that comes from God, Acts 9, will always be accompanied by a help that comes from God. Try, try studying this. Acts 9, he gets saved by a vision. Every major place he goes and he has trouble and he thinks they might kill him, it says he has another vision. And he has them in chapter 16. Come over in Macedonia and help us. Corinthians, don't be afraid, Paul. I have a lot of people in this city. In Jerusalem, they're beating him so bad that the soldiers have to tear him up because the, literally the Greek says they were going to tear him limb from limb. And he says, Paul, don't be afraid. And it says, the Lord stood by me. You will also appear before Caesar in Rome. Every time he's on his mission of must and it gets really, really bad because his whole life is into it, God says, let me give you another vision. You know why? Because you keep following my must. I'm going to constantly help you passionately. I'm going to be there every single time you need it. Can I tell you? That's what he'll do for you. That's what he'll do for Faith Baptist Church if we would just give ourselves to it. If we would say, this is what our church is about. This is what our lives are about. See, that's the God heart. And when that happens, you leave the Grinch heart behind and your heart begins to expand three times that day. And it makes all the difference in the world. I hope that you realize tonight Perhaps even think about that maybe tonight it's you or me or us. We might just, might need a must makeover. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage that makes it so clear and obvious about what it means to be a Christian. Oh, it means a lot of things. A lot of things. But one thing we know for sure it not only has changed our destiny from heaven or hell to heaven, but it has changed the direction of our life and our deeds right here and now that we are on the mission of must with you. Oh, Father, help us not be disobedient to this commission as, Paul, as Saul was not, but help us every day, God, to have your help 
that we might be able to say, and so I stand here. So I stand here. And may years pass at our church and in our lives individually, and we can look back over decades of being on this mission and say, God help me, and that's why I'm standing here today. And may all of it be for your glory alone. In Christ's name I ask it. Amen.